As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular. New for 2018, the IHRA Summit Sportsman Spectacular will be contested around the country with a 10K on Saturday and a 5K on Sunday format. By pre-entering the Saturday race for $150, you will receive entry to Sunday's race for free. In addition, today's podcast is presented by the Mosier Great American Bracket Race and Dream Team Challenge. Memorial Day weekend, Britt Cummings and Galen Rollison will host the inaugural Great American 20K Bracket Race and Scoggin Dickey Dream Team Challenge at Memphis International Raceway. Check them out on Facebook to stay up to date with all updates and news. And it's all that we know, it's the way Give all that we got, Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. This week on What Everyone is Talking About. For the first time in... Two months, Jed. We mm. have actual on-track racing to talk about this week on the podcast. Awesome. Uh, NHRA kicked off the 2018 season with the Winter Nationals in Pomona. Big Jed, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be in Pomona for the Winter Nationals. I'm just going to take a minute or two to kind of wax poetic on the experience. It's pretty cool. If you've seen it on TV, like you get the idea. You've got the picturesque backdrop behind the tower the mountains in the distance snow capped particularly if you're like me and coming from a place where there might be snow on the ground mid-february it's pretty neat to see that as a reminder while you're enjoying typically beautiful weather and kicking off the race season smelling the burnt rubber seeing the sights experiencing what is one of the more electric atmospheres along the NHRA tour. It's pretty neat. I've had the opportunity to be out there twice. 
pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I've never got to experience the facility or the area, Luke, that um, you know, all indications are. It's, a, it's an amazing event, an amazing place, and it does look really nice on television. Um, the weather did appear to be perfect, and it seemed like everybody was performing at a top level. And, you know, it's always fun to see that first event come back out and see people that have changed cars, classes, you know, paint, whatever they've done. So it was fun to, to watch and, and see some of our buddies getting back after it out there in Pomona. Yeah, as part of the, the show structure this year, we're going to try to steer away from just rattling off individual results. But I did want to touch on a few things that I thought were noteworthy from Pomona. And since it was really the only event that was contested last weekend that we're going to spend much time talking about, we'd spend a little bit of time on it. I think the standout story, Big Jed, was in Supercomp. It was all Torres all the time. Yeah. Gabe Torres getting the Supercomp win over Big Brother, Val Jr., Gabe has to love Pomona now. That's two national event victories for the youngest Torres, and both have come at that facility. I believe it was the World Finals in 2016 where he picked up his first national event, Wally. This one to lead off the year and then obviously made much more special by knocking off his brother in the final round. And this is not the first time, like in recent memory, that those two did that. The same pairing, the same brothers met up in the final round of the divisional event at Fontana last May. I think we... We at least touched on that on the podcast. I believe we did. I'm sure that I don't have to remind Val Jr. of this, but those two uh, final rounds did have the same outcome. Little, bro- <laughs> little brother a little ahead in the uh, in the head-to-head matchups there, especially when it matters. Yeah, that had to be pretty cool, though, you know, to do that for the uh, first time last year in Fontana and then come out and, and start your season off with a final round on a national level. That Those guys have to be feeling really good, win or lose. Yeah, I I don't have any siblings, so the only thing that I could relate to that would be like running my wife in the final. And we did that once locally, like on a $1,000 to win Saturday night, and I'll never forget it. I couldn't imagine that scene playing out in a national event final. It's going to be pretty neat stuff. Other notes, uh, friend of the podcast, our boy, Dan Fletcher, win number 103. 103. Got the competition eliminator win out there at Pomona. Big Jed, I, I didn't even realize, like, we made such a big deal of him winning 100. Like, is it possible that he just quietly won two more national events last year? Like, I was ready to say that this was 101. You know, I, I really thought the same thing, Luke. It, <laughs> we did make a big deal out of 100, and I remember him talking in the interview and, you know, saying you never really know if you'll win another one or what have you. And, you know, he's already collected three since that interview, so... You know, Dan off to a quick start, and and with the driving ability and the equipment he's got under him in comp, that number could get, you know, up in the high 10s or around 110 fairly easily if things continue to go his way, especially considering his talent in other classes when he competes. So Dan still got it, still doing it, and obviously going to hopefully have another impressive year. But, Luke, I'm sure you, as you were keeping up with the results, you saw this, but our buddy Ryan Mangus, I mean, the guy was just on fire running uh, Justin Lamb's stocker, the E-Stock Automatic Camaro. Was no worse than 17 in eliminations. Was just really mowing through the field. Uh, That's but, nice. Uh, come up on old Larry Gilly in a very fast E-Stock Mopar and uh, the final in a heads-up race and 
come up a little short. He was 12 to Gilly's nine, and Gilly outran him, I think, about three and a half hundredths on top of having a 3,000 advantage on the starting line. But it was extremely impressive final, and um, the, the, the E-Stocker Camaro popped a big old wheelie in the final, too. So they had her juiced up, <laughs> giving it all he had, Captain, but uh, just come up a little short. I hated to see him come up short, and Larry Gilly's super fast, but he did his job, too. It wasn't like he just had a fast car and relied on it. He even hit the tree 009 and did what he was supposed to do. So no, congratulations are, to Larry. Those are two really fast e-automatic cars. Like, I'm not close enough to the situation to say that those are the two fastest cars in the country, and me saying that would probably tick off somebody in New Jersey or Georgia or wherever. Like, I know how stockers are about going fast. But those two cars, neither one of those are slow by any means. And they're typically the, the two highest qualified e-cars at all the Division 7 races. And they keep button heads. Or it seems familiar to me anyway because I watched them do it late at Salt Lake City when I was out there. Same result, Gilly by a couple of hundreds. But if there is a run to the fences heads-up matchup in Stock Eliminator, that's definitely one of them. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, our buddy Kyle Rizzoli that I picked in Superstock to win it all last year. Uh, did not pick him on Team Jed this year. He didn't go to Pomona last year after I picked him and uh, didn't pick him this year. He goes to Pomona and gets the win in Superstock. But a little inside baseball has uh, informed me that I still did good because he's not planning on chasing. Now, he did win, so that yeah. could change things, but they still say he's not chasing. Let's hoist another Wally at uh, Phoenix there, Kyle, and see what we got to say then. <clears throat> Yeah, related top drags to uh, Steve Wheel got the win over our, another friend of the podcast, former guest Kyle Seipel. And the only reason I wanted to mention that was that was the only blip on the radar for our uh, NHRA drafts. And unfortunately for us, Big Jed, Team Kyle or, or Kyle Seipel is not hashtag Team Jed is not hashtag Team Luke. That's hashtag Team Kevin. So KMAC might might already have a little uh, jump on us here in the uh, in the standings. Yeah. He, yeah, he probably got off to a good, not probably did get off to a good start, but Kyle took a real job at uh, Sonoma Raceway, so right. I just don't see where he's going to get freed up enough to, to make a serious run at it, but I could be wrong. I should have hit him up. I mean, it ain't like we're not good friends, so I should have asked him, but I just felt like he wasn't going to, so... No, that's a good we'll point. See. Between the fling events and the quote-unquote real job, I would imagine that the time is going to be at a premium for Mr. Seipel. So it's probably a good pick on our part, maybe. Yeah. The same thing, though. He goes out and wins Phoenix, and this could get interesting. The one thing that stood out for me, and I, I won't spend too much time on this because I don't know how many of our listeners actually find this as interesting as I do, but every year, I guess particularly at Pomona or, or when the – racers hit the grounds running for the first time at, at events all across the country like i'm interested to see the constant uptick in speeds within the superclasses and again this is interesting to me because i've run the superclasses for several years but it just never ceases to blow me away like in supercomp say what uh Five years ago, somewhere in there, I started going 890, 180 miles an hour, and that was fast, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there was a couple of guys faster than me, but nobody by much, and I chased 95% of the time. And I've basically had that similar combination for four to five years, and I'm still in the upper half of the field, but there's a lot more people, like, right beside me. You know, I've noted more and more every year, and there's a handful that are chasing me down pretty good. It's not completely out of the realm to see a 190-mile-an-hour car, but there's only a handful of them across the country. There was, like, three at Pomona. 
Steve Williams went 190. Aaron Kennard had his new APD motor that I know that Joey and John have been working with. He went like 188. Matt Woodard went 187. And in Supergas, first off, Phil Unruh was runner up in his Super Street car. It's a there's cobalt that he normally runs in Super Street. He went 990 at 162. <laughs> and I assume that thing still weighs 2,800 pounds. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's like a small block blower deal, if I remember. Like, like that's hauling. And I just happened to pull up, like, I don't know, it was the second or third time trial session for Supergas. And keep in mind that, like, in my Corvette last year, that thing went 476 at the million in a wow. buggy, right? Like, it ain't slow. Yes. In really good air, I went 990 at 170, and that's fast. You are yeah. in a buggy that goes 470s. <laughs> I just happened to pull up this time trial session, and the first three pair, there was one car in each pair that went over 175. Yeah, in perspective, crazy. like that is a 450 eighth-mile door car in super gas. And there was several over 170. It's just, and in that type of racing, like, I know you probably expect me to, like, get on my soapbox and say, this is getting so carried away. And I guess it is. But in that type of racing, like, there is some advantage to having the speed advantage having more speed than your opponent, simply because obviously most people are more comfortable when the race is out in front of you. But in that style of competition, it's not uncommon to go into a round and not be super confident in what you can go. And you've got more options as you approach the finish line as the faster car. Like you tend to control the race a little bit more typically. So I can see the advantage, so to speak there, although and some of this stuff's getting super costly. But in the end, I also like that the winner of Supergas, the guy that hosted the trophy, Kevin McClelland, proved that it's not the mon- number on the bottom of the scoreboard that matters. It's the number on the top of the scoreboard. That 990 is way more important than that 175. Um, <laughs> Do it, K-Mac. Yeah, got it done in the mid-150s in that roadster that he has won Pomona in before, like, several years ago. Maybe maybe he's won it a couple of times. So, yeah. kudos to him. Awesome to see K-Mac get it done. Luke, what is the speeds, the big speeds? What is it a product of just everybody making more power? Are they, are they finding... Uh, are picking lighter cars or are they changing throttle stop settings to the point that it's creating there's just simply power i think it's largely just power i mean particularly in super comp and super gas like i don't think that the cars if anything the tendency has been to get heavier in recent years with all the stuff that we're bolting on them like they are legitimately just finding that much more power hmm. well good for them All right, so now uh, we're joined by uh, Luke Sabert of Sabert Performance, and we'll talk a little bit about why Luke's joining us. But uh, first of all, Luke, I want to say thank you for taking some time to join us tonight. Well, thank you for having me. I feel really honored to uh, join you guys tonight. Yes, sir. It's an honor to have you. So, guys, as we talked about for the last couple of shows, we're going to introduce our top 25 bottom bulb list this week on the podcast so very excited about that uh, we had our top bulb list several weeks ago and uh, we teased the top 25 bottom bulb list we finally got that put together and basically we did it the same way we did the top bulb list uh, we we picked out 12 people that uh, we feel like are respected in the racing market and that has some knowledge of bottom bulb activity around the country whether it be foot brake no box stock super stock what have you so 
you know, we picked out those 12 and uh, feel like we, we got a good diverse list. It was myself. It was uh, our uh, production assistant, Mark Romeo. It was Michael Beard, Luke Siebert just joining us now. It was Ryan Mangus, which we talked about earlier uh, with great performance in Pomona. John Victorino, you might know him as Victo, out on the West Coast in the Bay Area. Slick Rick Bear, Phil Combs, Alan Neff, uh, Anthony Fetch, Brad Plourd, and Jake Howard. So it's guys from kind of all over the United States and uh, that are very successful on the bottom themselves. And uh, that has a lot of knowledge and I think would give uh, good unbiased opinions. And as it turns out, we got a huge number of, of entrants for the top 25 list. So I think we accomplished our goal. Basically just said the same thing we said for the top bulb. You know, if you were going to a big bucks bracket race on the bottom tomorrow and you, you knew these people would be there and they would bring their typical weapon of choice, who would you want to be on your team? You know, it's again, not an all time great discussion. It's tomorrow. Uh, not a most versatile driver, uh, not even the best driver discussion. It was just basically, who would you want tomorrow, and who do you think could get it done? And um, we got a we got a great list, Luke and Luke. Um, it's <laughs> yeah, a, it's, could get confusing, but yeah. Well, I'll like I say, I'll shut up for the most part once you guys get rolling. I. I think i want to start this off with a similar disclaimer just for any listeners that maybe missed the top bulb portion of the top 25 in just explaining that why this list has any validity at all to the extent that it has some is the panel that you just mentioned obviously a pretty distinguished group a pretty diverse group in terms of age geography racers promoters uh, on down the line um, from all over the country and i know i'm like I personally respect the opinion of everybody on that panel. And just to emphasize that the top 25 that we're about to read off is a compilation. It's not Jed's top 25. It's not Luke Siebert's top 25. I actually kind of excused myself from the voting on this simply because I personally have been so far removed from the bottom bulb scene now for, what, four, five, six years that I feel pretty confident that I could list off my top 10. Beyond that, like... I think my judgment is more tainted than most because I back in time to the guys that I raced with. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't feel like I'm as in touch yeah. with the current day. So bottom line, it's not my list. It's not Jed's list. It's not Luke's list. So um, if we, if something's like bad wrong and you take personal offense to it, that's cool for conversation. But come on, don't add us. It's not our fault. <laughs> At the same time. Why, while I think there's a, a fair amount of validity to any ranking like this, why it's flawed, I think are obvious. It's highly subjective based on any number of biases. And I think that this shows up maybe a little bit more even with this panel than the top ball panel or, or in this realm of competition, just because there's so I think the big money bottom bulb and I guess to some extent even the nature stuff is just more scattered geography and obviously the people that you race with that you see do the work uh, tend to impress us more than the people that we read about doing the work so it is highly subjective and like we said in the top ball portion it's never been done before so it's not like you can look back at last week's top 25 and go okay well that dude just won last week so move him up a little bit like there is no there's no parameter so just like in the top ball portion, everybody that was polled here, when we post the final results that we're going to go over today, I would s venture to guess that all 12 of our panelists 
will look at that final list and see at least one name where they go, oh, I didn't even think about that guy. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. So for just the listener's sake and we don't get any confusion, Luke Bogacki, I will refer to you if needed as Bogak for this segment. And if I say Luke, Luke Siebert, I'll be talking to you. So let's run down 25 to 16 and then we'll we'll talk about that, that group a little bit. So number 25 was Josh Epperson. Number 24 was Edmund Ellison. 23 is Jody Lang. 22 is Ernie Humes. 21 is Brian Cerruti. Number 20 is Slate Cummings. 19 is Phil Combs. 18 is Joe Santangelo. 17 is Brock Mosier. And 16 is the legend Bob Mullaney. Now, uh, Luke, we talked a little bit about it off air when uh, when we called you, but uh, you said you probably would be a little more familiar with the the guys that are class racers uh, on the NHRA side, particularly. Obviously, that would be the Jody Lang, Slate Cummings, Joe Santangelo's on this list. But anything else in that list uh, kind of jump out at you? Yeah, obviously those guys that you listed off there. You know, Jody Lang. It's incredible what he does with you know, what could be called an unconventional tool, you know, some yes. slower cars in respective classes that he races in. Slate Cummins, to touch on him, I think anyone who's ran stock or super stock has had a run-in with Slate and probably came up on the losing end. He's just an awesome racer. Joe Santangelo, you know, his, I don't know what his win-loss record is in final rounds, but <laughs> I guess I perceive it to be pretty good. Um, Darn good, yeah. Finally wins. Yeah, some of the other guys, Josh Epperson, man, I've really been paying attention to him lately. Um, you know, done some good at the World Footbreak Challenge races, yeah. and seems like he's a terror anywhere he goes for sure. Yeah, Josh definitely is a guy that, that gets the most out of what he's got. You know, for me, when I look down this list, I don't see anybody that I don't agree with, first and foremost. If I had to just pick something apart out of this, number 17, Brock Mosier. Brock is an East Coast footbreaker that uh, gets around the East Coast pretty good. And uh, he is a guy that, I don't know, I think Brock just typically brings fear to people. He's a, He has all the tools. He's got an extremely fast car. Uh, it pops big wheelies and carries it way out past the 60 foot. So I think Brock probably didn't quite land where he should have. And uh, Brian Cerruti probably didn't land where he should have. He's kind of quiet. But uh, we all know the story about him going to Vegas, the car being stolen, being recovered. But, you know, this is a guy that drove from Ohio to Vegas to run on the bottom bulb and uh, performed extremely well and left there cash heavy. So uh, no big surprises in the list other than that. Um, Bogak, anything for you that, that jumps out at you? Cool to see Edmund Ellison on the list. I would venture to say that he is the youngest member of the top 25. I know Edmund's the older brother, but what is he, 20, 21? Yeah. Um, so. so pretty cool there. And, and I don't know, like, it's probably not fair for me to say because I didn't sit down and go through the process of making a list. But just in a vacuum, I agree with you. I, I think if I was to do one, I'd have Saruti higher than 21. And I'm fairly confident in saying that I would have had Santangelo a little bit higher than 18. But the, you're splitting hairs. You know what I mean? Like, I, sure. I got, I'm just like you guys. I got no problem with anybody on this list. It's a impressive group, and having the ability to look down through some of the 
others receiving votes like we do and, and I guess we'll touch on a little bit later like that's pretty impressive too so just being mentioned in the top 25 an honor in and of itself yeah I think so and uh, it, it definitely is uh, is you know when you start looking at what's available to be on the bottom of top 25 list to make it at all should be uh, should have somebody feeling pretty good about their talents yeah absolutely on March 9th through 11th, IHRA will bring their new Summit Sportsman Spectacular to Farmington Dragway in Farmington, North Carolina. This event will provide a little something for everyone. Ironmen, big checks for the winners, round prizes. The main event will be Saturday's $10,000 to win race, while Sunday will pay $5,000 to win. Both races allow electronics, while no box entries will be kept separate until just one remains that racer will receive a one thousand dollar bonus on saturday and a five hundred dollar bonus on sunday in addition to obviously getting mixed in with the box cars if that racer that no box racer is an ihra summit super series member they receive a bonus five hundred dollars pre-entry for the farmington event will run until february 26th you can enter now at ihra.com I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast over the PA on race day. Memorial Day weekend, Memphis International Raceway will play host to the Great American $20,000 Bracket Race and Dream Team Challenge. This man will have something for everyone. It's boasting payouts of $10,000 Friday, $20,000 Sunday, and $10,000 on Monday on the box side, while the footbrake contingent will race for $5,000 Friday, $10,000 Sunday, and $5,000 on Monday for only $200. Saturday will feature the first ever Dream Team Challenge. This race will consist of 32 teams on the box side, 32 teams on the no-box side, and 16 junior teams. They will battle it out to find out who has assembled the ultimate dream team. They'll be making taking alternates if you'd like to get on the list. Even if you're not competing in the dream team race, there's plenty, plenty to be excited for. With the big money on Friday, Sunday, and Monday, check out the Great American Bracket Race Facebook page for complete details all right so we've covered uh, 25 through 16 and uh, we still have uh, luke siebert on the line with us and we'll talk about now numbers 15 through 6 so starting to work our way towards the final group that uh, got the most votes but um starting with number 15 is steve stites and that's my partner, co-promoter of the World Footbrake Challenge and the Southern Footbrake Challenge, and guy that I just have tremendous respect for on the racetrack. A very, very, very talented guy and has won a lot with uh, less of a weapon than, than most would even think about bringing to the track. And sorry, I didn't mean to get off talking about him more than any of the others, but 14 is Chris Plott. Again, a guy who's tremendous talent. 13 is Randy Biddle Jr., 
the same race we talked about. Sarudi having a lot of success in Vegas. RBJ did as well. David Bell, double O David Bell out of Arkansas is number 12. Michael Beard, number 11. We all know uh, Beard is one on a lot of different levels on the bottom. Number 10 is Dan Fletcher, as we just talked about collecting his 103rd national event, Wally, this past weekend. Number nine is Kevin Pollard, won a 50 grander. And a top bulb race on the bottom. Actually got a $5,000 bonus to make it 55 last year. Number eight is Sneaky Pete Biondo, the Terminator, working his way into the top ten. Um, very, very talented, as we all know. Maybe the best sportsman racer uh, in all time. Um, number seven, Slick Rick Bear. Uh, another guy who's had tremendous success on the bottom bulb. And number six, a uh, guy that made our top ten uh, in the top 25 top bulb discussion, I believe. I can't remember where Brad fell, but I think it was top 10. And he is uh, Brad Pluard, number six on the bottom bulb list. So Brad uh, getting a lot of respect from both sides of the discussion. But uh, Luke, we talked about, again, NHRA guys and uh, Dan Fletcher, Peter Biondo, and even Michael Beard, uh, more so on the IHRA side, uh, has he won his championships. But he's done some NHRA, and I uh, believe Footbrake himself to a super stock win at a NHRA divisional a few years ago, if I remember correctly. But some, uh, some NHRA, IHRA talent there, but again, the list is just full of guys that uh, have performed extremely well. Uh, what jumps out at you here? Uh, yeah, you know, again, any of these guys you could argue could be top five uh, guys on the list. Um, you know, it's hard to not talk Brad Plord. You know, what he did at the end of last season in a mix of different classes, and I know we're just talking about bottom bowl, but, um, you know, it was impressive for me was, you know, what he did at the million, and then the week after I heard he changed, put his metric stalker training in the car, and <laughs> other yeah. foot brake challenge, and he, he, I think he won the main event is what he won. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that guy, every time he goes out, just impresses me. So that that's really kind of my standout on there. But obviously, you know, Dan Fletcher, you know, don't need to say a whole lot about that. I think everyone knows he's just amazing. So. Yeah, he is a very, very talented. Fletch just it seems like he could get in anything and be competitive. Um, obviously, to me, what uh, stands out on the list is number 15, my man Steve Stites. I, I just feel like. I'm probably too close to Steve, and it's it might be swaying me in this direction, but he can race with anybody. I mean, the guy, you know, I'm not talking bad about him. He's got one eye, so he's already got a little different look, no pun intended. He's <laughs> one of my best friends, so don't think I'm picking at him. But um, he's got a little different look than everybody else at the racetrack. Um, and he raced a Cavalier, a, a ten high 10-second Cavalier for the majority of his wins in his bottom bulb career and the guy won super pro track championships i mean just extremely extremely talented has a better weapon now and competes extremely well when he gets on the racetrack so i felt like he probably fell a little short of where he should have been uh, on the list and david bell at number 12 those of us that know David and know how great he is probably would have him listed inside our top 10 every time. So I think David might feel just a little bit short of where he should have been. And Steve definitely did as well in my mind. Uh, what about you, Bogak? 
Yeah, I'll second both of those. I'll start at the other end of this, working my way back. You guys talked about Brad. Um, just of note, Rick Bear is the the first driver that we've gotten to thus far on the list that earned a first-place vote. He actually got two of them, uh, ended up ranking in in seventh, um, which I think is fitting Like for somebody that got two first-place votes because I think Rick is a little bit polarizing. Like I think there's people that think he's awesome, and I think there's people that think like he's whatever, not uh, – top 10 you know what i mean and i think that's reflected yeah. here that uh and no particular reason he's unbelievable on the starting line um obviously very successful um coming in seventh awesome brad and peter both um you guys mentioned brad brad and peter both were among our top 25 top bulbers so quite an quite an accomplishment quite an achievement to be listed on both lists um particularly in the top 10 can't say enough about fletcher and big jet i'm with you i think if i was doing this and again geographically i get to see this guy work more than most david bell is awesome um probably not the and he'll tell you like he's not doing a bunch of tricky stuff at the finish line but he hits the tree so freaking good he don't have to like i never i don't know just like if you just had a reaction time contest, I don't know that I'd put anybody beside David Bell. Maybe maybe better. Like those are probably the two that just you just look at uh, a twelve round spread and they're double O every freaking time. So I, yeah. I can see that. But to your point, and I know you spent a little bit of time talking about him, but I will completely second it. I think Stone Cold coming in at fifteen is highway robbery. Like I if. I'm 99% sure I would have him in my top five. And again, I guess we're biased because a lot like you, Jed, like I spent a lot of time at outlaw racetracks that most of you have (laughs) never heard of in Mississippi and Alabama watching Stone Cold work and watched most of those little outlaw tracks change rules to exclude a one-eyed man and an 11-second Cavalier from competing. (laughs) <laughs> because he was whipping up on everybody, super pro, foot break, what have you. Um, so to, to your point, like he's proven in recent years that if we bring everybody out there and what most of us consider race cars, he's got as good a chance to win as anybody on this list. Put everybody on this list in Street Cavaliers and see who comes out on top. <laughs> yeah, there's no doubt about it. Very well said. But uh, solid list. Uh, again, um guys making the top 15 out of all the options uh think mark told us we had 93 people that got a vote of some kind so to make top 15 out of that is still impressive but um, those are a couple of things that jumped out at us but that was uh, that covered numbers 15 through 6 still have our top 5 to go and um look forward to talking to luke some more about that here in just a little bit but first we want to talk about what's on tap Honey, where are we racing next week? It's time to discuss next week's major events, news, updates, releases, and announcements. It's What's on Tap! All right, guys, big news coming out of AHRA. There's bonus money for AHRA members to win if you are racing in the Firecracker Big Money Bracket Race at Byron Dragway on July the 7th. You'd be crazy not to buy an AHRA membership if you are a bottom bulb racer or a manual trans racer. Look at the AHRA rules for our requirements and limitations and check out AHRA on Facebook for more details. Big Jed, who doesn't love bonus money? I love bonus money. I love any money. Free money. money. Yeah. That's what I'm talking Uh, about. 
not a ton on tap for the coming week. The only um, no, no NHRA competition that I'm aware of. The only bracket race that uh, caught my eye was the King of the Coast opener. Uh, does take place this weekend out in Gulfport, Mississippi at Gulfport Dragway. Um, just wanted to mention that. Um, we'll probably touch on that next week. Certainly, if anything exciting happens and uh, and they get a good weekend of racing in. Um, and Big Jed, we did get some clarification from. Cody and Johnny, they have rescheduled the fifth annual Southern Big Bucks Nationals. That's going to be coming up now March 29th through the 31st. Yeah, I did see that. And uh, they, they're going to change that up just a little bit because it's falling on Easter weekend, Luke. So due to Easter being on Sunday, they've decided to change up the schedule. Friday night will consist of the high roller shootout races, and Saturday will feature two separate races to get the, the event wrapped up. So uh, that's a good move on their part. And if you're worried about it interrupting your Easter Sunday activities, uh, don't worry about it. Those guys are going to get you fixed up and get you back to be with family on Easter. Yeah, very cool stuff. Yep. And, um, Luke, uh, those guys also announced uh, an event that they're going to do out in Arkansas at uh, Prescott Raceway where uh, I got to go hang out uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Really cool facility out there in Prescott, um, March 2nd through the 4th. They're going to have 10000 to win on Saturday, and it'll pay 5000 to win on Sunday along with High Roller Shootout Saturday night. They'll have no box paying $1,000. Uh, each day, they'll also have high roller shootouts there on Saturday night and Friday night will be a free 2500 to win combo gamblers race. So looks like Johnny and Cody adding an event to their schedule and uh, it's uh, it'll be a cool race at a cool place out there at Prescott, Arkansas. So you to be sure to check them out. Big Jet, I know it's eating you up. Do, 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 you, do you like Prescott? I, I do like Prescott a lot. Um, have I mean, you, I, have I you ever done any good there? Well, I've won every time I've ever been there on a Saturday, um, <laughs> which is once, <laughs> or once, as some of my friends would say out here. But uh, yeah, Prescott's an awesome place. They have a big uh, wheel that you spin for the buy run out in the staging lanes, which is about the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life, and I've seen a lot of cool stuff. So um, really, if you do want to have a great time, go to Prescott, race the race. Don't go to the truck stop nearby and order a ribeye. I promise you that is a huge, huge mistake. It's a good Find reminder to eat. for our podcast listeners. What about the, the wheel and the staging lanes, Big Jed? Is it weighted properly? Like, is it fairly random? I felt like it was. Uh, I mean, I saw it spun a few times and it, I never did really figure out what it was saying because it's coded and got a lot of stuff happening within a small wheel. But they seem to know exactly who should get the buy run based on where it landed. And it didn't seem to be the same guy every time. So uh, it was really cool. And I think it was a great idea. And um, yeah, so I would say it is set up perfectly. The reason that I ask, um, I told a story a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about the little outlaw track that I started racing at when I was 14 years old. At said outlaw track, Cedar Creek Dragway, um, there were three staging lanes, and they had a wheel in the line at the head of the lanes to determine pairings and the buy run. And so it was uh, whatever, like it was cut up into a pie, and there was probably uh, three ones, three twos, three threes, and then there was a buy one, buy two, buy three. So if it fell on the buy and you were at the front of the lanes, you got the buy run. Um, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if they spun that wheel... 12 times it landed on by three 10 of them 
<laughs> so it was not far into the race where they would call whatever class you were running, and it was a crash to get to the front of lane three. <laughs> Pretty good odds you get pulled out for that by run. I do remember that. That's only it's 20 short years ago, a little more than that now. But I do remember if you got the front of lane three, you were looking pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I was, at least it sounded like they got a lot of smart customers out there. A lot of people were seeing what you were seeing trying to get there. So um, hopefully they uh, hopefully they got that fixed now because that just that just sounds like they takes the randomness out of it, which is not very cool. So Cedar Creek. Fix that uh, Byron board of yours. So, Luke, let's uh, let's get back to our top twenty-five bottom bulb discussion here. You don't Again, want to talk about the wheel at Cedar Creek Dragway anymore? Well, I think we've covered it. Uh, unless you unless you got some more you want to say about it. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, our final top five, uh, of course, is still joined by Luke Siebert of Siebert Performance, and Luke is a bottom bulber himself out in the Midwest and or I guess uh, more Central America, if you will. And so he's uh, he's joining us to talk about the list. He's got uh, some knowledge of what happens on the bottom bulb around the, the country. And um, we've covered numbers 25 through 6. So now let's move into number 5 through 2, and we'll save the final for a little bit of little bit of lengthy discussion there. But number 5 is Justin Lamb. Now, Justin collected... Two NHRA World Championships on the bottom last year, one in stock, one in super stock, which uh, very, very impressive. And again, what I have seen of Justin in person is phenomenal. I mean, the guy is just a machine. Number four is Matt Obertanik. So probably uh, the guy doing it with the oddest piece of equipment. Well, I don't know. Maybe number one <laughs> could be doing it with some odd equipment too, but... Uh, Matt with the Jeep, what I call the Jeep, an AMC Spirit, which is not very typical. Um, it's in four-wheel drive most of the time, and he's bad news. His car is awesome. It performs very well, and he's got Coke bottle glasses, and he's very quiet and very unsuspecting, but dude will cut your head off on the racetrack. He fills the number four position. Number three, uh, Bogak is our buddy Adam Davis. Uh, OAD, uh, just ridiculously talented on the bottom bulb, um, has done it in a variety of vehicles, has won on super big levels, locally has dominated, a guy that just seems to be able to do whatever he wants to do in the race car from a holding standpoint or making time shots or using nitrous or whatever. Uh, really talented, very deserving of the number three spot. And number two is uh, a guy that I have a ton of respect for, and obviously a lot of others did as well, and that's Lucas Walker. Lucas out of uh, Mayfield, Kentucky, a guy that just doesn't give himself near the credit that he deserves. Uh, crazy talented, aggressive driver from, on the starting line. Um, intimidating those 550s in a back half Mustang pops big wheelies um, you know did big wheelies at your event in July showing out uh, for the trying to win the wheelie contest just guys out there having that up <laughs> guys out there having a great time and just really wins that's what he does he wins a bunch so very deserving his number two spot so 
Uh, Luke, let's uh, let's talk a little bit back to you. Obviously, a guy that's familiar with NHRA racing, um, as you talked about, Justin Lamb probably jumps right off the page quickly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with what he's done even before the 2017 season, I mean, he's more than proved himself and uh, do what he did last year. And then also, I mean, his his performance at the Spring Fling Million um, in his Superstock car was just nothing short of amazing. Um, yeah. Reaction times and what that guy did that day, I mean, it's hard to ignore that. Um, yes. So, yeah, amazing. Uh, Matt Obertanik, uh, great racer in his own right, and I think he gets bonus points for having probably the coolest car on the list. That thing is <laughs> pretty sweet. <laughs> yes, it um, is. And, uh, yeah, uh, Adam Davis, again, great racer. Lucas Walker, um, I had my own run-in with him at the Middle Locks Nationals this year. And, uh, yeah, let's just say he had the electricity, not me. So. <laughs> well, you're uh, you're probably a little insulated from uh, being able to race against a lot of the guys on this list where you call home and your opportunity to, to get out and run around. But... You know, going to an event like No Box Nationals, um, you know, you I don't know how many times you've gotten up there. Was it your first trip? or? Yeah, last year was my first time there, and, and um, I feel like I have a, a decent amount of luck around home. And, uh, you know, I knew I knew had a pretty good idea what I was getting into, going to No Box Nationals. And, uh, I mean, I, I was wrong. That's, that's a whole different playing field. And uh, it's just crazy, um, some of the packages. Uh, you know, some of the races, racers are on the list here. We talked about, like, Rick Bear, um, when he won, uh, uh, I think it was five grander, just, uh, lit, you know, listening to his reaction times, his packages. I think he went the last four rounds with a 20-pack or better. And, yeah. you know, that's just amazing off the bottom. So. Yeah, so you've gotten to see several of the people from number 25 to number two when you go to an event like that. And our buddies Alan Neff and Greg Delman put on a great race up there. So i um, glad you got to be a part of that and, and see some of this talent firsthand. Unfortunately, as you said, you got to see it up a little closer than you wanted to. But um, still pretty impressive there, numbers five through two. Um, nothing there surprises me catches me uh the wrong way very deserving guys uh, bogak what do you see in there in numbers five through two yeah i'm with you i got zero issue with five through two i i i i think if i was doing this i think this would be my top five i think i was probably a little bit surprised like i just assumed the guy that we have number one uh, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and Matt Obertanik would be one and two in some order. And I don't mean that as any disrespect to Lucas Walker. Lucas is awesome. Um, but I, I think I would have had Obertanik in my top two just based on accomplishments, if nothing else. Like that dude, we talked about him every week for like three months over the summer. Um, yeah. Adam, I I would have Adam in my top five without question, but I'm a little bit I don't surprised is not the right word. Like, I'm happy to see that he gets the national recognition because, like you, Jed, we're biased. We've we watched Adam do it firsthand a lot and and know that when he is feeling it, I think he's better than anybody. The problem with Adam, and he'll tell you this, like I think, he's just super confidence-based. And when he gets down, like, he can look like he ain't driven a race car very often. You know what I mean? But when he's on, sure. like his good is so good. Um, and I would, I would just worry that some people will see that inconsistency from afar 
and have him a little bit further down the list. But he is ev- very, very deserving of being this top five because his good is unreal. Yes, uh, very well said. And, um, you know, you talked about Obertanic would be number two for you. And I can totally see that because what Matt doesn't get the advantage of is the the fast, big tire, alcohol breathing car that's running everybody down and realizing when you can't get there, you drop and turn people loose and feed them 40. Matt doesn't have that. He's He's got a car that fits right in the middle of the class. So he's getting chased a lot. He's chasing a fair amount and he just makes solid solid runs that you can't beat knows what he's seeing at the other end so matt uh, where he fits in the list probably uh, could rise up a little bit when you think about the fact that uh, he doesn't really get to trick a lot of people into beating them because of the speed of his car so that covers numbers five through two uh, look forward to revealing the number one driver, which I don't think anybody that's listened this this far is going to be surprised at all. I believe they all probably have it figured out. Um, and he will be uh, introduced in a special way because we're just about to tell you who's hot. He's on fire! It's time for Who's Hot in Sportsman Drag Racing. Seabird Performance Who's Hot. Seabird Performance can handle all of your engine needs. If you are looking for a 4150 carburetor that delivers the ultimate in performance, look no further than Seabird Performance. Pro Series Billet 4150 carburetors. Check them out on Facebook for more information. All right, guys. So our Seabird Performance Who's Hot driver this week is our number one driver on our top 25 bottom bulb list. We have covered 25 through 2. This will be no surprise to anyone, and we're going to let Luke Siebert do the honors of announcing his own Who's Hot Driver of the Week here on the podcast. Luke, go ahead and give this out. Drum roll, please. Uh, Thank you, Jed. Yeah, number one on the bottom bulb top 25 list is Nasty Nick Hastings. Nasty Nick Hastings. So we talked a little bit about Matt Obertanic and doing it in an unconventional whip for for what you see out here in the big money bracket races, but nobody's really doing it in anything more unconventional than a Pontiac T-1000 that everybody confuses as a Chevette. This thing pops wheelies. It's a fire-breathing demon on alcohol, and Nasty Nick drives the freaking wheels off of it. He had six first-place votes, a guy that not only performs extremely well on the bottom, he does it on the top, too. He gets the number one honors, no surprise to anybody, had a tremendous 2017 season. And, you know, a guy that I get to see quite a bit throughout the year, uh, all the way from Vegas to wherever else we go, he won at the Southern Footbrake Challenge. He wins at the World Footbrake Challenge. He wins on every stage he goes to. Very deserving of the number one ranking here on the top 25. So, uh, Luke, what do you see when you – I don't know if you've got to watch uh, Nick, Nasty Nick in person, but what do you see from him when you're watching the races that he competes in? Yeah, no, I've definitely seen him and, and uh, you know seen some of the results over the years and heard the name. Um, but my first, uh, I guess, time to be around and watch him – was at the uh, third bowl throwdown at, at uh, Thunder Valley in Noble, Oklahoma last year. And, uh, you know, surprised to see him all the way down there. 
shows up with a motorhome, an open trailer, and uh, um, realized quickly who that was. And uh, he started the week on off right with, uh, I think it was the uh, Friday uh, warm-up three grand race, just knocked it out of the park, first event out there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, i got to see it firsthand the rest of the weekend how good he really is. Yeah. Yeah, very talented, uh, a humble young man that is out here just enjoying life and uh, basically living his dream of uh, competing at the bracket races for a living. Uh, we got to enjoy some time with him on the podcast uh, later later in the 2017 season. Bogak, uh, I know you're very familiar with Nasty and, and how talented he is. So how does this fit for you? Yeah, I don't know that I can say much that hasn't been said. Like, I don't mean to be dismissive, but this to me is like Fletcher winning number 103. Like, we just kind of take it for granted. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that Nick would come out atop this. Like, I don't think it was near the surprise or the anticipation that the top ball portion had. Like, this was (laughs) kind of a, a, a foregone conclusion in my mind. So, um uh, of note to me, just overall, looking at the the top 25 and the breakdown, uh, and again, no surprise, but Nick's domination, so to speak, like he got six of 12 first, va- first place votes. So there was no question who was going to end up at the top of this list. Um, in contrast, no one, no other racer um, got more than two. I think Rick Bear got two and Justin Lamb got two first place votes. Um, No one in our top 25 top ball list got more than three. The racers that got three, just of note, Peter Biondo and Nick Hastings. So Nick got six first place votes on the bottom. He got three first place votes on the top. He did end up ranked sixth in our top ball top 25 and a top the bottom bulb top 25 um we mentioned earlier brad plord just to uh, not to correct you big jed he was ranked sixth on the bottom he came in 13th on our top 25 top uh-huh. and peter biondo actually top 10 in both was number eight on the bottom was um number four i'm sorry was yeah number eight on the bottom number four on the top um more drive we had we had 12 panelists just like we did in the top ball portion uh we had more drivers receive votes among the bottom ball which i guess i i felt like i expected that but when i sit down and think about it i think that's kind of surprising because most of us think there is more parity on the top but of yeah. the 12 voters in the, in the top ball top 25 i think that we ended up with 70 some odd um drivers that receive votes there's over 90 bottom bulbers that receive votes. Um, so the the parity and the depth of talent in the bottom bulb arena is probably higher and deeper than at least I would have given it credit for. So that's pretty impressive in and of itself. Yeah, absolutely. I I had 16 of the 25 that made the list. Uh, 16 of those were on my list, so obviously nine missing. Um, for me, some surprises uh were uh, brett williamson I, I think brett's pretty mean on the bottom that was a little bit of a surprise for me charlie lockhart is a guy that has won a ton that i was maybe a little bit surprised was left off and uh, jay robinson foot breaking fool out of houston uh, very talented foot brake racer uh, that i felt like was well enough known that uh, he would make the list and uh, Luke Siebert, as far as um, 
other people that were left off the list that I think you would be familiar with. I, I'm not sure who surprises you that was left off the list out of your picks, but John Moggins is a guy that I think is extremely talented, uh, probably just hasn't gotten out as much to make himself known across the country, but uh, a guy from out your way that I think is um, really, really apt to win anytime he's he's uh, competing on the bottom. Anybody on your list, Luke, that was left out that surprised you? Yeah, and and I guess to uh, to touch on what you just said, John Moggins is a fabulous racer, and um, you know from this area always does well. Yeah, just doesn't travel as much. Um, Ryan Montford, um, you know, he's shown what he can do in the what he can do in the stock and super stock ranks, yeah. um, and just locally in his bracket car. Um, if you stage next to him, he's going to be double O, and he's going to be going dead on most of the time. Um, he's he's amazing, but. Some of the bigger names that, you know, I'm surprised aren't on here. Um, Austin Williams, um, great racer. Um, yeah. Jeff Heffler, I'm pretty sure if they have an ET finals at the Motorplex, he's probably going to win one of the classes. Um, it just sure <laughs> seems like that. I think you're right. Safe bet, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, lots of, lots of names. Charlie Lockhart, great racer. Um, you know, Kevin Helms, um, great. Um, showed that again yeah. here this last season. Jerry Emmons, Anthony Bertazzi. Um, just lots of names, and it is really hard with the bottom bowl because, uh, um, yeah, you can go on and on thinking about races from different regions of the country and uh, different sanctioning bodies they're running. And, um, yeah, it's just uh, it could be a big list if you want it to be. Yeah, um, so for anybody that's uh, wanting to see it, the complete list will be uh, posted on our Facebook page sometime this coming week. And uh, I want to say thank you to Luke Siebert for joining us to have the bottom bulb discussion. A very fitting year guy that's in tune to the bottom bulb. So it was great to have you on the show to get to talk about that and get your take on the list and where everybody did or didn't fall. And uh, congratulations to those top 25. I want to thank the panel that uh, that helped us out, that put this list together. You guys uh, contributed a lot, and we appreciate it very much. And uh, thanks to Mark Romeo for putting it together. It was uh, probably pretty painful to go through that many different people and figure out the the point system and put them in place, but he did a great job. So Luke Sabert, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on and enjoyed uh, chatting a little bit with you about the bottom bulb list. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and I uh, appreciate what you guys do. You guys uh, show is very entertaining. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate your support of the show and uh, certainly want everybody to look to Sabert performance for all your performance needs and, uh, make sure that you're uh, giving Luke an opportunity to earn your business. So, Luke, thanks again. Hope you have a great night, and we appreciate you joining us. You too. Thank you, guys. That wraps up this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. I want to say thanks to our sponsors, Sabert Performance, the AHRA, the IHRA, and the Great American Bracket Race, and certainly thanks to our guest and bottom bulb uh, discussion expert, Luke Siebert. It was great to have Luke on to talk about top 25 bottom bulb list and guys as always want you to tell us what you think message us on the sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page you can reach out to us there anytime and if you like to use the twitter catch up with us there luke is at luke bogacki b-o-g-a-c-k-i and i am at jp11x reach out and tell us what you're thinking about this list or anything else we talked about on the show appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you next week. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in.
attitude like I am already winning in for breaking in anything. Bottom ball before a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty switching feet like Jerry Pennington. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer, led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. 